Welcome to the Scripture Study Project, a fresh and faithful study of the Scriptures that will renew your excitement for your own personal study and help you passionately teach what you're learning to others. I'm Zach. This is my quite soft-spoken wife, Krista. We've uh, been through the beginning of this episode a couple of times and uh, realized that my voice carries really well in the microphone and hers doesn't. So hopefully I don't blast you out and hopefully you can hear her. But we are really excited to be with you. Uh, this episode is First Nephi 8 through 15, Lehi and Nephi's visions of the tree of life and everything else that go along with it. But the question we're really asking is, how do I get myself and get others to that tree of life? So our study tip for today actually goes perfect with that question and this chapter that we're teaching today. The study tip is... Picture it. Picture the story. This tree of life is a great example. We've all seen artwork about this one. We can kind of see where we're at. And then also put yourself in the story. Picture yourself in the story. It's kind of fun. I was you can Google images of the tree of life and there's some, you know, fun little hand drawn ones. There's obviously the ones that we're really familiar with, but there were some really neat ones that gave a different perspective of the tree of life that I had never thought of before. You know, I kind of have my own uh, image that I have glued in my head of what the tree of life looks like. And it was kind of cool to see some of these other, other pictures and other illustrations. Yeah, because maybe we get set in the more popular ones, yeah. ones that we see in the copies of the Book of Mormon, where, where there's so many different ways to really interpret and read the story. So there you go. Yeah. Let's get started. Okay. Um, so as we, as we looked at this block uh, and tried to look at it again with that fresh um, view, one of the things that came to mind to me was understanding just who Lehi is, or, or I guess where he's coming from uh, as First Nephi chapter 8 kind of unrolls to him. Um, if you followed along in the last couple of episodes, you've heard a little bit of his story. And of course, if you read the Book of Mormon, you know his story, but uh, he's been through quite a bit, right? Um, the city that he presumably grew up in uh, and loves and wanted to save, he was commanded by God first to preach repentance to, uh, then to leave with his family. He goes into the wilderness, lives there for eight years, and then God tells his, well, in that eight years, God tells him to send his sons back to Jerusalem to get the plates from a kind of a murderous madman and uh, then back to Jerusalem again, and then they build this boat, and they go across the ocean, and his sons are constantly fighting with each other. They try and kill him. They try and kill each other. And it's just been kind of madness in his family. And so I'm thinking, what's going on in Lehi's mind and heart um, as we start First Nephi chapter 8? And what I had never noticed before is it's his family. Lehi's worried about his family. He's thinking about his family. He's thinking about Laman and Lemuel. Um, he's worried, oh, kind of at the end of 1 Nephi chapter 8. I don't know if you're going to say this, but if um, this is verses 35 through 37. Um, it says, Nephi says that Laman and Lemuel didn't partake of the fruit, kind of spoiler alert, but um, verse 37 Lehi exhorts them, meaning Laman and Lemuel, with all the feeling of a tender parent. Which is interesting because 
how many times have we read this story, but that was kind of the thing that as we studied this chapter again, that was the thing that stuck out to both of us was kind of that different motivation that Lehi had as he saw this vision, as he had this dream. Um, so um, to kind of set up the vision, to help it make sense, um, we're going to jump ahead a chapter. There's, of course, mounds and mounds of commentary uh, and manuals that have written on the different symbols of the vision of the tree of life. And um, and that's beneficial and wonderful. I want to focus just on a couple that I don't think we have quite nailed down enough and that if we get right, make this whole vision kind of come alive. Um, the first one I want to look at, of course, is the vision or the symbol of the tree of life itself. Um, in chapter 11, Nephi is given this same vision. So if you remember, Lehi sees the vision, and in this vision, he's shown a tree of life, a bright, white, glowing tree. Um, he sees this path leading to the tree, and as he walks along the path and goes to the tree and tastes the fruit, he says it's the best thing he's ever tasted. He turns around and he wants everyone else to try it too, and so he sees this path leading to the tree. He sees an iron rod running alongside the path, helping people get to the tree. There's this mist of darkness that's making it difficult for people to walk the path. There's this river of filthy water, and across the river, there's this giant building, great and spacious building without a foundation. And in that building, people are there mocking and pointing fingers. So Nephi hears all of that, and Lehi gives no interpretation. He just tells the dream. Nephi, of course, being inquisitive Nephi that he is, he wants to see what his father saw. And so uh, God grants him his, uh, grants him the same vision. So as Nephi is given his own vision, he gives quite a bit more detail. And as this angel kind of guides him through the vision, the first thing he asks, or the first thing the angel asks him, this is verse three, uh, or verse two is, Nephi, what desirest thou? What do you want? And Nephi says, I want to see the things which my father saw. And a little bit later, he'll say, I want to know the meaning of the tree, which makes sense. When Lehi takes this fruit, it tastes better than anything he's ever had in his life. The angel doesn't tell him, but he does show him this. Um, this is verse 15. Nephi, what do you see? And Nephi says, I see a virgin most beautiful and fair above all other virgins. And the angel then says, do you know the condescension of God? Do you know what the tree means yet? And Nephi says, I know that God loves his children. Nevertheless, I know not the meaning of all things. I have no idea. And then the angel tells him, behold, the virgin whom thou seest is the mother of the son of God after the manner of the flesh. And it came to pass as I beheld that she was carried away in the spirit and after she had been carried away in the spirit for the space of a time, the angel spake, saying, Look, and I looked and beheld the virgin again, bearing a child in her arms. And then the angel says, Do you know the meaning of the tree? And now Nephi gets it. There's been no explanation. He just shows him this wonderful vision. And now Nephi, because of what he feels in his heart as he's witnessing the birth of the Savior, says, Yes, this tree is the love of God, or more specifically, this tree is Jesus Christ. 
Um, I think sometimes we get confused about what the tree means. I think we talk about the love of God and the fruit is this and the tree is this. So for the purposes of today, we're just saying this tree is Christ. And even when we talk of the love of God, I mean, that is, Christ is the symbol of love. Of, so I even like thinking of it in that way. Um, for God so loved the world that, that he gave is, his only begotten son, that is right? love is the Savior, Jesus Christ. Um, so question one then is, Lehi is standing at the tree. He's just partaken of the fruit. And now he wants to know, how do I get my family to partake of this fruit? How do I get my family to come to Christ? And so that's our first question. How do you get your family to come to Christ? And I think um, here I am excited about this discussion. I think this is something that maybe Zach and I might be a little bit hyper excited about. excited about. <laughs> but what I want to talk about here is... What does Lehi do first? He partakes of the fruit himself, and he experiences it. One of the stories that um, Zach and I have both enjoyed using to illustrate kind of this point is the story of Jeremiah in the Old Testament, where he um, talks about kind of his desire to teach and to teach these people that we're not listening to him and we're not wanting to accept what he was saying. Um, but he says he didn't give up. He had this strength and testimony, this conviction of the Savior Jesus Christ that he knew he needed to share. And this is in Jeremiah chapter 20, verse 9, where he says, The word was in mine heart as a burning fire shut up in my bones, and I could not stay. He was so overcome with the desire, the love of God through the Savior Jesus Christ that he wanted to share so much. Yeah, couldn't keep it inside. He had to let it out. Yes. And so here we are. What I wrote down first as I was pondering this was teach them the why. And then I came back and said, wait, we teach ourselves the why first. We partake of the fruit. We feel the love of God. We feel the Savior and we understand how important it is for us because we can't teach our family anything if we aren't feeling that ourselves. There's a teacher um, that I was listening to a couple of years ago that was teaching teachers how to teach. And uh, I can't remember all the details of the story, but I remember him describing walking through a peach orchard. Uh, and he asked us if we had ever tried peaches fresh off of a, uh, off of a tree in a peach orchard, ripe peaches. Uh, and if anyone out there has ever been to Brigham City, Utah, you probably know what the fruit of the tree of life tastes like because I'm pretty sure it's a Brigham City peach. Peaches. Uh, so what he Sorry. says is you walk through the orchard and you you eat this peach and you just have juice dripping down your face and then you walk out the other side of the orchard and the best teacher looks at his students with peach juice dripping down his face and then says, let me show you where to find the peaches. But if you don't eat the peaches yourself, if you don't have that peach juice dripping down your face, you're never going to be able to help anyone else get there. So you can't just tell people, go eat peaches. You have to say, I've eaten the peach. I've eaten the fruit. It's dripping down my face. It's the best thing I've ever tried. You've got to come try it. So the next step is, how do we do this? The first talk that came to my mind, and maybe it's because they just made that awesome Mormon message out of this talk, 
is The Music of the Gospel. It's um, by Elder Anderson from, I think it's the April 2015. A beautiful talk about the music of the gospel and learning the dance steps. And I'm going to share a little bit from what he said. He says, We learn the dance steps with our minds, but we hear the music with our hearts. The dance steps of the gospel are the things we do. The music of the gospel is the joyful, spiritual feelings that comes from the Holy Ghost. And let's maybe liken that to that feeling you get from when you have this, like we talked about already, those feelings that we get when things are so good that you want to share it. It's not just the fact that reading the scriptures makes you feel good, but it's the Holy Ghost enlightening and bringing those peaceful, wonderful feelings to you. It makes me think of, uh, or reread, I guess, those two verses in First Nephi 8 where Lehi describes what he feels as he partakes of the fruit, that it was whiter above all that is white, sweeter above all that is sweet, and that when he partook of it, it filled his soul with joy. I like that. And going on in this talk, a little more from Elder Anderson, if our children learn the dance steps without learning to hear and feel the beautiful music of the gospel, they will over time become uncomfortable with the dance and will either quit dancing or almost as bad keep dancing only because of the pressure they feel from others who are dancing around them. The challenge for all of us who seek to teach the gospel is to expand the curriculum beyond just the dance steps. Our children's happiness depends on their ability to hear and love the beautiful music of the gospel. And how often do we kind of get stuck in maybe the motions of those things and we forget to teach those, those really important parts that are gonna, going to help them feel that? I guess to use the image from this tree of life, um, we know that the iron rod represents the word of God and the straight and narrow path represents commandment keeping. Uh, and yet I wonder how often we make the iron rod or the commandments the end result when we're talking to our children, when we're teaching someone, right? You should read the scriptures because that's a good thing, or you should keep the commandments. But that's not the point, at least of this vision. The iron rod and the straight and narrow path are means to the end, which is the tree or which is Christ. And so we can't focus just on the iron rod or just on the path, we have to focus on the tree. That's the whole reason. The why is the tree, the how is the iron rod, and the, and the path. And remembering the why is Jesus Christ. And he, in this talk, Elder Anderson gives, the first thing we do is what we already talked about. Fill it yourselves first. And then second, we must try our best to perform it in our homes. And of course, there's lots of practical ways, but I did want to share um, I've just been reading this book by Sister Marriott, um, her, her new book called Seek This Jesus, and I love some of the stuff that she um, talked about from her family, family life. She said, when we were raising our children, I felt like the co-captain with my husband of a ship, and I pictured our 11 children as a flo flotilla? flotilla, 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 of Flotilla, little boats, I should, have, I should have got that before I started reading, <laughs> of little boats bobbing around us in the harbor. 
preparing to set forth on the sea of the world. David and I felt a need to consult the compass of the Lord daily for the best direction to sail with our small fleet. I loved that she talked about consulting the compass daily. I think as we look for ways that we need to teach our family is once we feel that ourselves, we consult the compass, we ask God daily on how we can best teach our family when we come to those moments that they need us there. Um, she says, if I could say only one thing to parents, it might be anchor yourselves consistently to eternal truth and stand ready to share it with a loved one at the crossroads. Be ready to share those truths that you know and be so in tune with praying to God about your family that you're ready to receive revelation when those moments come, when those teaching moments come where you're able to let them not only taste the fruit, but actually feel and be enlightened by the fruit. Yeah. That verse 12, after Lehi partakes of the fruit, he said his soul is filled with joy, and then he's desirous that his family should partake also. And so he starts to look out to him, and what I, what I noticed is the process that he goes through to bring his family. He starts with himself, as we've mentioned. The first person that he looks for is Sariah, his wife. She's the first one he wants to partake of the fruit. Then he looks to his children, Nephi and Sam and Laman and Lemuel, and then he looks to others. Um, I have been obsessed with this quote lately from David O. McKay, and I'm going to paraphrase it because it's long. But the story is this, that as David O. McKay is walking out of uh, one of the church office buildings one day, he sees some workers working, I think it's on the Hotel Utah, and uh, he pauses, and luckily there's a secretary with him to record this. He pauses and uh, essentially tells them, one day you're going to have a personal interview with the Savior. And if you want, I can tell you the questions he's going to ask you and in the order he's going to ask them. Would you like to know? And of course they say yeah. yes. <laughs> uh, and so he says this, the first question the Savior asks will be your relationship with your wife. Remember, the first thing Lehi does after partaking of the fruit himself is he looks for his wife. The second thing he will ask is he will want, and here I'm directly quoting, an accountability report about each of your children individually. He will not attempt to have this for simply a family stewardship, but will request information about your relationship to each and every child. Lehi does that. First he looks for Sariah, then he looks for Nephi and Sam, mentions them by name, and then he looks for Laman and Lemuel and mentions them by name. Each child is a specific concern. Um, the third thing he'll want to know is what you have done with the talents you were given in the pre-mortal life. The fourth thing he'll want to know is a summary of your activity in the church. The fifth, he'll be interested in how you earned your living, and sixth, he'll be interested in how you served your community. But those first couple of ones your relationship with your wife first, and then your relationship with each of your children just stands out in this story with Lehi. So once he's done that then, then he focuses on the other people in the vision. And this is kind of where I focused my attention. Um, as I've gone through this story multiple times, uh, I have found a couple of different groups of people. So the first group that Lehi mentions, this is in verses 21 to 23, is the group of people that are lost in the mists of darkness. Uh, and if you've been any, in any gospel doctrine class in this lesson, you've had 
probably a fruitful discussion on how the temptations of the world can blind people from seeing the path, from seeing the rod. A couple of years ago with some of our students, we recreated the iron rod in a, in a building. We blacked out all of the windows, all of the doors, so it was completely pitch black. And just to be fun, we set up a night vision camera so that we could watch students as they were walking along this iron rod. And, uh, and then we put temptations along the way. Someone was standing in a room asking them if they wanted to come and get some candy. And kind of surprising to see how many students would actually let go of the rod and follow a temptation. And as we asked them why they did it, a lot of them said, well, I couldn't see. If I would have seen that leaving the rod led to the faculty room or into this uh, broom closet, I wouldn't have done it. But because I couldn't see, I left the rod. So that's the first group that Lehi sees. Um, he also sees this group in the great and spacious building. Um, skipping forward a couple of chapters, Lehi says, or Nephi says, that those people are, this is chapter 11, verse 35, the house of Israel who has gathered together to fight against the 12 apostles of the Lamb. And you and I have talked a lot about this, of how uh, the people in the great and spacious building we always assume are the world or people in the world trying to get us to leave the path or to leave the iron rod. But according to Nephi, it's not people in the world that are leaving it. It's people who used to be at the tree who are now in the building pointing their fingers back at people who are at the tree or people on the path and mocking them and making fun of them, specifically making fun of their desire to follow the 12 apostles of the Lamb. The two groups, though, that I really wanted to focus on, there are two groups that make it to the tree. The first group that makes it, it says they cling, or they went forth clinging to the rod of iron. They make it to the tree. Um, and then once they partake of the fruit, they look around ashamed because of the people in the great and spacious building, and then they leave. The second group that makes it to the tree, uh, follows almost the exact pattern with one small exception. They don't cling to the rod. This one, it says they continually hold fast. And here's where our study tip comes into mind. If you're picturing someone, the difference between clinging to the rod or someone that's continually holding fast to the rod, what, what images come to mind? I like thinking of that because you, those words just bring such different pictures to your head clinging versus holding fast. And I, I think that goes back to thinking of, you know, like you said before, like who's, who is, who are we concerned with? Why would we care mm. what others are thinking in the building or no matter what it is, when we're focused on the savior, we have confidence to just hold continually hold fast. And we're not worried about, I love the, I love the visual, like yeah. you said, picturing it. I love the visual of thinking of, of those two different words. And that's a great point, too, uh, to think if I'm picturing someone clinging to the rod, they're clinging out of fear. They're looking at the mist or yeah. they're looking at the great and spacious building mm -hmm. and they're terrified. And so when they make it to the tree and they eat the fruit, their, their actions follow where their attention has always been, which is on everything but the tree. Uh, Nephi mentions when he gets to the tree, and we assume that he's one of those groups one of the group that's continually holding fast and makes it to the tree. He mentions when he gets there, he hears the people in the, in the building, but he says, we heeded them not. Meaning, we've never cared about the people in the building. We've never cared about the mist. 
The thing I've been looking at the whole time I've been walking along the path is the tree of life. And so it makes sense that when I get there, and I, I love, I love these verses. Um, this group, when they make it, this is verse 29. Um, they did press their way forward, continually holding fast to the rod of iron until they came forth and fell down and partook of the fruit of the tree. They make it to the feet of the Savior. They fall down and they stay because that's where they've always been looking and that's where they've always wanted to be. That kind of, I always think of, there's a verse in a, one, of my, one of the songs that I love that talks about, she says, when the Savior comes and the earth is whole and new, I will fall on my knees for the mercy he has given to me. And I had never noticed that before, that there was that falling to the knees. Whenever I hear that, and I actually repeat those words to myself a lot, when I think of like that feeling of coming to the tree and being there, falling on your knees in gratitude, because I think that's, that's what we're all searching for. We're all just trying to look to the Savior and feeling that you can't describe it, right? Mm -hmm. I want to say peace. I want to say love. I want to say that anticipation, but sweeter it's all above of those... all that is sweet, yes. wider above all that is white, yeah. filled my soul with joy. Mm -hmm. So, in summary, you got to have the peach juice dripping down your own face. Then you look to your spouse, then to your children, um, and you help them focus on the tree and on nothing else. So that when they get there, they fall down at the feet of the Savior and never, ever want to leave again. Thank you for studying with us today. What a, a fun chapters to look. What fun chapters to look at. Um, our we're just going to end with a quick teaching tip, which we've kind of already talked about throughout this. We talked about picturing it, but let's go one step further with this teaching tip: is engage the senses. Let's kind of feel and see things and feel those different words. And maybe there's, maybe in some cases you don't have the words for it, but you can picture it, you can envision things and really engage all senses as you, as you study. Specifically helping other people engage their senses, right? This is... Um, yeah, think of the different, I, th I think of the different learning. We always talk about the ways pe different people learn and they do using the music, using... Using um, pictures. Pictures and art and all of those things that help us learn. Yeah. I had a, I had a teacher once uh, that said, it's never enough to read the scriptures, you have to experience them. Uh, and his class was exactly that. Each day was an experience in the scriptures. We didn't just read about Nephi, we were Nephi. We didn't just read about the vision, we were in the vision. We didn't just read Captain Moroni, we were Captain Moroni. So if you really want to make a difference... Uh, and help teach these kind of very visual and very visceral chapters to people with the passion that they deserve, you have to help them step into that world, help them picture it, and help them picture themselves in the story. Just like, the, just like Nephi was taught in, in these chapters. Yeah. The yeah. angel telling him to look. 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 He was showing him things. He was showing him these experiences, and I, I love the way that that illustrates that. Thank you for being with us this episode. Um, as always, we would love to hear from you. 
Uh, we'd love to hear specific feedback on this chapter. What experiences have you had coming to the tree? Uh, have you found things that have helped your students or your children um, gain a greater appreciation for the Savior or fall down at his feet or ignore the great and spacious building? Such a great conversation that can be started here. Um, we're both on Instagram. Krista is at Krista Joe Horton, and I am at millennial.mormon. Um, so reach out to us there, comment on our podcast, and we will see you next episode. Thanks.